Hello, and welcome back to the AI Insiders podcast, the flagship podcast of acronyms, because this is coming to you from USC's ISI AID, FTW. I think I'm not too old to say that. I'm Adam Russell, the director of the AI division here at the Information Sciences Institute at the University of Southern California. I'm your host as well with the goal of getting to the for the win, that's FTW, for those of you who are not hip enough, for the win with this episode. I'm taking this opportunity of being relatively new to the Institute to reach out and get to know the humans behind AI at ISI. Because how things turn out now ultimately is a question for those humans, for we humans, who are the ones who are creating, launching, pouring money into, screaming about, falling in love with, hoping for, fearing, or just trying to understand what the heck is happening with all this AI stuff. And I'm confident we can get there because I'm looking at my guest right now, and I've had the good fortune of knowing him for several years. In fact, he's one of the reasons I jumped at the chance to come to ISI because he is, by any account, a good human. Fred uh, works with me here at ISI in the AI division. He is a, a research assistant professor at USC. He is the associate director of data science at USC, and he is a principal scientist at USC, ISI, which leads you to ask the question, how is he able to do all these things and presumably still sleep because I have reason to believe he is in fact human. And we're going to find that out now with the following interview. Fred, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Adam. So uh, Fred, if you've had a chance to look at any of the other, or listen to any of the other podcasts, you know that I like to start this off uh, by asking you to do something that currently is physically impossible, uh, but because we uh, have these amazing capacities for imagination, I get the opportunity nonetheless to ask you to go back in time to talk to 10-year-old Fred, and I want to hear you explain to yourself, what are you doing now at ISI? Thanks, Adam. I think the best way to explain what I do to a 10-year-old is that I understand people with computers. Um, so trying to understand uh, how people navigate the world around them and using all you know state-of-the-art and recent uh, AI and uh, NLP tools to, to accomplish that. Uh, 10 year old Fred is really smart, but still wants to know, what do you mean NLP tools? Slow, <laughs> slow down Brainiac. Yeah, I guess uh, it took 25 years ago. That wasn't really a thing, was it? Uh, yeah. Um, so uh, understanding people through the, the way they speak, the way they write, more importantly, how what they write down in influences how they're going to behave and what you can understand about their, uh, their preferences um, from, from what they say and do. So NLP standing for natural language processing, right? I just right. make sure we unpack that. Um, okay, so why why are you at ISI? I know what you I know what you're doing. Why, why are you doing it here? I think ISI is uh, a unique and uh, fantastic organization. It combines uh, really both of the things that I want from life, which is to work with students and to do cool stuff. Uh, at a traditional academic institution, um, it's really hard to put together teams of the size that we do and have access to the resources that we have in order to accomplish those goals. Um, and at a traditional research lab, like say IBM, for example, uh, it's really hard to work with uh, students. Of course, you get an intern every now and then, but that's not quite the same thing, right? Uh, you want to you know, you build people up, you want to help them grow. And uh, I think ISI is one of the few places where you can really do both. Interesting. Uh, what do you like most about working with students? The new ideas. Uh, oh, okay, the, yeah. The, the, the ability to be kind of agile and scrappy. Um, I really don't think that uh, we would have been able to embrace, say, LLMs as quickly as we could have if we'd had a bunch of, you know, 
50 year old scientists who've been doing this for, for 30 years, you know, it's just not the same thing. Uh, stu students really uh, are ambitious. They have cool ideas. Uh, it, it makes every day feel a little bit different, which uh, is, is really, really important. That's, that's a great observation. Um, and again, just unpack it. LLMs are the large language models that are sort of all the rage right now. Yes, um, yes indeed. That, yeah, chat GPT and other things. But let, so let me ask you a two-part and equally unfair question. The first is, what are you most worried about with AI? And then asking you, again, unfairly to represent a, a generation, what do you hear from your students? Like, what are they most worried about with AI? What am I most worried about? Uh, I think it's the thing I've always been most worried about with these uh, new technologies, which is people who use them without really thinking about what they're doing. Mm. Uh, these are really powerful tools, but they also have a propensity to reinforce bias, uh, you know, reinforce unfairness. Uh, we've seen this story time and time again, and I think that's uh, another way to do that. For example, you know, already there are companies that are using uh, LLMs to screen resumes, right? Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. What could go What could go wrong, right? I mean, <laughs> it's, you know, this is... Computer, it, computer it, says no. That's right. Ex yeah. ex exactly. Um, and, you know, this is this, this happened 10 years ago with, with, with AI too. You know, Amazon, they built a um, resume screening tool. And, you know, shock and awe, it turned out that it was uh, biased against female candidates. Right. So they had to scrap yeah. that tool. And here we are, you know, not, not even 10 years later um, with the same story just now with LLMs. And that worries me. You know, that's one of the things that keeps, uh, keeps me up at night. You asked me about my students. Um, I think they would probably say roughly the same. And we see mm -hmm. that in, in the papers they're writing and the, and the problems they choose to work on. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, 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 don't, I, I don't know which way that causal arrow goes. Maybe I'm brainwashing them. Maybe they're brainwashing <laughs> me. I'm not exactly sure. But... Um, yeah, I, th I think they would probably say roughly the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, one of the things uh, that I've been thinking a lot about is the role of universities uh, in this space, because as you mentioned, a lot of this is being driven by commercial investment uh, and that, you know, mar market race as it were. Give me a good answer as to, uh, you know, what why we still need universities in AI. Why we still need universities uh, in, in what role? To teach, to do research, or... What do you tell me like what, what 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 do they bring that's unique to the ecology so that if i'm you know if i'm the government for example now they're thinking about with the president's executive order uh where, where to put more funding right to sort of ensure safe ai better ai what why do i need universities and that ecosystem well i i sure hope as instructors we're doing more than uh chat gpt would to uh to instructors you know our students we're here to teach them how to think not how to fill in a, an answer on a quiz. Uh, ChatGPT is very good at the latter, right? It can, it can explain a concept for you, but actually like teaching someone how to think, how to, how to embrace a particular concept and how to apply it in new areas. I think that's really one of the, one of the you know, cornerstones of education. And mm -hmm. uh, that's part of what educators are responsible for doing. And I'm not so sure that uh, LLMs can do that well yet. As, as far as research goes, I think that answer is even more clear. I, th I think our job is to work on the questions that companies aren't brave enough to answer or they don't have the resources or interest to answer, right? We care deeply about these, these bias and, and fairness questions. It's clear that the companies that are just throwing these uh, resume screeners uh, at, the, at their pile aren't. And, and, and it's our job to make sure that these things work for everybody. Check. So what would you be doing if... You weren't in AI. I think I would either be an anesthesiologist or a campaign manager. I did not see either of those coming. Uh, okay, unpack that, please, for me a little bit. 
Uh, anesthesiology is really interesting because there, there are so many parameters you have to get right, uh, and there, there are huge stakes at play, right? Uh, it, it's just really fascinating. And um, campaign manager, uh, I think, is probably even more of a, a, a straight line. You know, how do you communicate with people? How do you understand what their, their real concerns are? And you know, make sure you can align kind of your, your, your messaging and hopefully your actual policies with what those things uh, ultimately are. So. I, I see the parallel. Yeah, nicely done. Anesthesiologist, though, that's, that's a good one. Haven't heard that before. Do you think, though, that we need regulations on AI? It sounds to me like to get where you want to get, there's going to be a lot of AI innovation that's required. Uh, but there's also a lot of talk right now about the need to constrain and regulate AI. Do, wh wh where do you fall on that debate? I think that uh, re regulation uh, in, so in some ways is, is really useful, especially useful now where we kind of have this situation where there are really just a few companies or let's say actors who are really in a position to make a meaningful LLM. But I think one of the things we're going to see is that that's going to become less and less true. I think is you know there's more compute, better algorithms, et cetera. Uh, more people are going to be able to build and train their own LLMs. And while regulation's great, there, there's going to be more that's needed uh, in order to kind of enforce these things. But the bottom line is, I think uh, having a discussion about what are the best uh, ways to go forward, what are the best okay. principles for these types of regulations, is really really important. Um, in fact, if anything, I think we relate to the game for these kinds of discussions. Yeah. Uh, one, one thinks we may have learned something from social media, but to your point, glad there's discussions are happening now. But it's interesting to me how people try to draw historical parallels with where we are with AI and past technologies, either in terms of like, oh, we've been panicked about technology before and it's worked out fine. Or alternatively, you know, when we regulate uh, nuclear capabilities, facilities, when we regulate aviation, like that somehow is a perfect analogy with AI. I don't buy any of those. I think there's something really different here. I'm not going to argue that with you, but I am interested. Given where you sit right now and the complexity that we face, if you could have dinner with one person, either alive or from history, that you think would help shed some light on kind of where we are at this moment in history and perhaps have some sound advice on how we should think about it and go forward, who would that person be and why? I think I would choose maybe uh, Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, I think he'd be a good person to kind of tell us uh, where, where, we, where we should go with these kinds of things. Uh, always appreciated his his take on uh, you know, things like you know war humanity etc in his books um, I, I would love to hear what he had would have to say about uh, where we are right now yeah. also uh, you, you, you drew these different parallels with like regulation of uh, you know airplanes etc I guess the way I think of it is sort of in terms of climate change it's like you know we, we knew for a long time that uh, climate change was you know driven by humans so it could be a problem etc and if, if we'd done the right thing, when we knew, you know, instead of waiting 50 or so years to, to actually start to care about this, you know, we, we, we could have done something, you know, we could have nipped it in the bud and we wouldn't be seeing these, uh, you know, terrible outcomes that we're seeing now, ice caps melting, rivers drying, you know, the drill. Um, and I, I think right now is when we should do something, you know, for AI as well. We need to stop, you know, like wringing our hands and things like that and actually, actually come up with some principles that should drive how we build these uh, these applications going forward. What, in the discussions that are happening um, that you are attending to, what do you think is the most misunderstood concept in AI? Like what's the thing that's getting in our way perhaps of making uh, progress and coordinating around this problem? I think maybe lay people's understanding of fairness and bias. Um, hmm. a, a lot of the people I talk to outside of this field, they 
they seem to think that, you know, because an algorithm did it, there's no way that it could be unfair. And, and I think that's <laughs> something that we really have to address, you know, in, in public discourse is that these things learn from past data and past data has, you know, all of the errors uh, that have been made throughout history. And if we're not careful, we're just going to propagate them. And to think that, you know, because an algorithm did it, it's just is, is, is simply not true. You know, hundreds of examples uh, from the literature and, you know, uh, industry that, that show that that's the case. Interesting. Yeah. And that's, um, to your point, like we need, we need to be better calibrated with, with these kinds of tools that we're using. Um, what do you, what have you found to be the most sort of counterintuitive thing that you've learned in AI? What, what surprised you the most? I think the most counterintuitive thing in AI for me is probably overfitting. Uh, so you kind of would think that, you know, more and more is going to be better and better. But that isn't always the case. And, and overfitting is a really simple way to kind of show that. I mean, if you learn too much about your training data, it prevents your ability to generalize, right? Um, this is, you know, reared its head in lots of different ways. Uh, there, there are examples of, you know, unintended learning. So um, identifying, you know, pictures of cows and you learn that the algorithm is actually just looking for, you know, a field of grass when it does something like that. I think a more practical and maybe harmful example is uh, is fairness, right? So if it overfits, it will learn to make things like, you know, loan decisions based upon your demographic variables, which have yeah. nothing to do with uh, your ability to pay back a loan, right? Yeah, I think that's probably the at least the most counterintuitive thing. I don't know about unexpected. What is, what is the uh, technical area of AI? And again, you're talking to 10-year-old Fred. I didn't tell you that. Um, I brought it back for the past. What is the most technical area of AI that you think is under either underinvested in or underappreciated or under-resourced? Explainable AI, uh, for sure. And I, I think the thing about explainable AI is um, that it gets some lip, lip service every now and then. But so tell me, think, tell, me, tell me what you mean. Tell your tenure yourself. So what, what, explainable AI fundamentally means uh, advancements to help an algorithm explain why it made the decision it made. Uh, that can be through basically the, the decision function itself. Some people make visualizations, things like this. And, and, and I think that's really a cure for a lot of the concerns we have, right? I think, I think if coming back to that, um, that CV filtering uh, algorithm we were talking about, right? If you could really look and see, okay, very clearly, this is why your CV was rejected then we can have a conversation about that. That's, that's, that's really going to be medicine for, for these concerns that we're going to see again and again going forward. And I, I would really like to see more uh, investment in these types of things. I, I promised at the beginning of this episode that I'm, I'm a human. If you had one question to ask me that would give you the most confidence that I am in fact human, what would that question be? Well, uh, I'd ask you to identify all of the traffic lights on this picture I have here. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'll tap out right there. And you know, there, there's another human you've lost, my my web traffic too. Uh, yeah, boy, that, that one got crushed pretty quickly, didn't it? Uh, Captcha. Oh, man. Uh, so it sounds to me, uh, you know, you, you, you made your way here. Glad you are. But um, do you, how do you think about yourself? Do you, do you have heroes in this space? Is there anybody you think like, that's the sort of person who represents to me kind of Cardinal North of how to do things right? Anybody come to mind? 
cardinal north of how to do things right. I, I mean, I certainly have heroes. I, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, you know, every every person is complicated, so I don't know if I would stand by every single decision they've ever made. But I didn't say perfect. I uh, said yeah. heroes, not perfect. Cardinal right. north is a, that's a high bar. Um, All right. Yeah, I mean, there there are some real uh, you know real real heroes in this space. Um, I mean, Claude Shannon is definitely one. He did some am amazing things early on that laid the groundwork for for AI. Jeff Hinton is another. I mean, mm -hmm. he, he he really is a person who's who stood by this stuff when, you know, the 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 compute and the data wasn't around yet to make it work, then it's good he did, right? Because now mm -hmm. we're we're seeing this, you know, kind of renaissance of of AI. Um I guess those are my answers. The secret to heroes I find sometimes is people forget that that they oftentimes work best when they work in teams. Um, but when the heroes come together, they all sort of bring their own superpower to that team. If if you had to say, uh, what what is your superpower? What do you bring to the team? That's a good question. Um, I think I have an ability to kind of blend uh, ideas from different fields uh, in a way that uh, maybe many of my colleagues don't. Uh, not not necessarily at ISI, but that I see on you know their projects and things like mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that has been a strength, uh, being able to kind of combine the best of everybody rather than, than having them work uh, work in silos. Um, I think, you know, there's, I, I have some, I, I'd like to claim some ingenuity for identifying interesting problems, uh, mm -hmm. things like mm -hmm. that. That's that's worked out for me a couple of times over the years. Um, yeah, that's, that's probably enough. <laughs> yeah, enough superpowers, yeah. yeah. I, I, don't, I don't want to brag really, but... Yeah, no, that's right. Those are indeed superpowers. Do you think you can learn those or do you think you just have them naturally? I think you can learn them. I, th yeah. I think um, I think the key to perhaps, you know, both, both of those things is humility, being able to kind of have an open mind for what people in other disciplines or with different backgrounds are saying um, and really listening to them when they, you know, try to you know, t tell you what's going on. Um, and yeah, yeah you, you can definitely learn that. You know, on that on that note, uh, I'm I'm glad you're part of the team here at, at ISI. Thanks for um, taking the time today to to chat with me, uh, deal with some of my curveballs uh, that I that I throw at you. But I think um, you know again anybody can read up on uh, a lot of the the technical uh, things that are happening. But understanding the people behind it who are doing that, uh, you know that that I think is at least as important, if not more so. I uh, really appreciate taking the time to be here uh, and giving me as well as I think our listeners a little more insight into your why. Why AI? Why this? Why these problems? Uh, as well as your what? And again, at least for me, uh, reminding me that we can remain more on the optimistic side of apocalyptic optimism, partly because we have people like you in the mix, uh, focusing on really making sure that AI serves to make the world better for us. Uh, and because it's a world in which we're increasingly interconnected, that means we need to make things better for all of us. So I appreciated yes. you making that point as well. Uh, hopefully you'll continue to do your best to make sure AI helps to scale up the best things about us teamwork, purpose, empathy, creativity, all these things we've touched on uh, and ultimately concern for each other. Uh, and for the fact that you bring all those to work each day, I thank you. And I thank you again for being a much appreciated colleague and, and a human behind AI at ISI. All right. Thanks, Adam. Uh, appreciate you having me on and it's great working with you as well. Yeah, I appreciate it. All right. Well, if you enjoy these short podcasts, please do the thing, like us, give us stars, all the stars, spread the word, send us feedback. Uh, and We'd love it if you just keep listening. Uh, we are getting some good feedback, by the way. So hopefully we'll continue to improve on these podcasts. Uh, and then also please join us again for another episode of AI Insiders, uh, where we're going to do our best to continue to navigate our way through this weird, weird world, uh, doing what humans do best when they face these kinds of challenges, working together as if all our lives depend on each other, 
because they do. So for now, for the future, fight on. <laughs>